Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, it's our number two on a football Friday right here on Home and Home, a radio.com sports original. Home and Home is brought to you by the ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. Without a doubt, folks, the smartest way to hire. We got an action-packed hour Two hours here for you. We're going to talk to Carrington Harrison about the Chiefs matchup with the Baltimore Ravens. Also, Rachel Axon, who wrote this really intriguing USA Today investigative piece about the NFL. Are they doing enough to vet the players and the coaches? And one of the great sports stories this week comes to you from college game day and a College kid just asking for some beer money on game day. He had one of those now infamous game day signs asking for actual beer money. It's now resulted in tens of thousands of dollars going towards a children's hospital. An outstanding story. That's in the 10 o'clock hour. But right now, let's bring in our friend Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated to find out just how much the star on the helmet is worth to Dak Prescott and other Dallas Cowboy players. Connor, good to see you. Dave Briggs, Ross Tucker, happy Friday. Happy Friday to you guys, too. All right, so the question is, on your piece, and it explores it throughout, is how much is the Cowboys brand and the star and everything that comes with it worth? And what's fascinating about this piece is it takes you inside Cowboys world that we don't get to see. We just see the football on the field on Sunday. Take us through what else comes with being a cowboy that you point out here in your piece? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, you know, from a private social club that they have access to, um, secret tunnels to, uh, or secret kind of elevator uh, to the valet, and they have their own private valet, which is pretty nice in Dallas. You know, their facility is split up in half, really, uh, and rented out to other local businesses. And so, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for guys like Jalen Smith to, you know, meet with someone from Merrill Lynch or, you know, some other kind of big business. And, you know, this is all connected. And I think, you know, when I asked Stephen Jones about it, I said, when you built this, was this something that you had in mind? And he said, absolutely. I mean, you know, you need to keep people here. And if you're assembling a team and right now internally, I think the Dow Dallas Cowboys feel they have that next super team, that next great team. This is a weapon that you have at your disposal. Well, Connor, I got to tell you, I was there in 02. I started the last seven games. I think I signed autographs at the mall and got like 15 of my own jerseys. And one time I signed autographs somewhere else for 500 bucks. So it doesn't work that way for everybody yeah. <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of how much how much the star means. Although, you know what? Maybe if we were good, maybe if I was there longer, it would have been uh, a little bit more lucrative. Uh, but... Uh, let's talk specifically about Dak Prescott because it does seem to me, and I want you to answer this one first. Do you feel like the money he's made off the field is a major reason why he has not signed a long-term contract 
In other words, he can afford to maximize his value. He can afford to be picky because he has made a lot of money off the field, a lot more probably than just his three years of low fourth round pick salary. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to speak for him, certainly, but uh, I think that when you talk to marketing experts in the field, uh, being as good as Dak Prescott is and, you know, a lot of other stuff being uh, as good good on the camera, uh, showing up on time, you know, doing all those things uh, that work really well in the marketing world that Dak Prescott is doing, in addition to being a Dallas Cowboy, I think has been pretty lucrative for him so far. And so unlike other players that are on fourth round pick, uh, salaries and and kind of have to deal with all that kind of stuff. He can uh, he can certainly afford to wait, and uh, I I don't think that that's uh, necessarily a coincidence that we're going into week three here, and uh, the Cowboys still haven't signed their franchise quarterback to a long term deal. So I know that was a part of your story as well, Connor. Uh, what is it worth? I mean, like how how much do we think Dak does make off the field? Because it seems like a lot of the commercials these days he's in them. Yeah, so there was a, a little bit of argument in the marketing community, which I found kind of interesting. And, you know, a couple people said, you know, take him and put him on the Jaguars. And there's a, a tens of millions of dollars in difference uh, than what he's making um, now. And then other people argue that, you know, it's not that significant because you look at guys like Patrick Mahomes, you look at what Odell Beckham has been able to do in Cleveland, and that market doesn't really matter anymore because of the reach of social media, the size of the audience now. So it's actually really kind of a fascinating debate right now. But I don't think there's any doubt that there is an inherent value in that brand just because it's the world's, you know, the world's most valuable franchise. It's the largest fan base in the NFL. And that still does matter to people, especially, uh, you know, your Pepsis or whatever, who are trying to uh, to pick which guys they want in their campaign. And it's not just current players, and your piece points this out, Connor. It's former players. So, yes, while Odell Beckham make a lot of money now and a lot of players across the league in small markets like Patrick Mahomes are getting marketing opportunities, it seems as though you witnessed interactions and opportunities that say you can make a lot of money with the Cowboys well after your career is over. What did you see uh, that, that really painted that picture? So there's really two good examples. The first is there was a sixth round pick um, in the early 1980s who wasn't even really a huge part of their team. But in order to get him to sign for cheaper, the Cowboys said, OK, well, you like computer programming in the offseason. We'll set you up uh, as a job in a, with a computer programming firm. And that guy worked at that job for nine years. And when he got out, bought his own firm and started his own massive software company in Dallas. And so, you know, and he said, every time I call a client, I tell them I'm a member of the Dallas Cowboys and you bet your bottom dollar that works for me and so there's that side of it certainly but then you know a couple agents one in particular told us you know if these guys are good you know like you think about the um uh, the teams in the 1990s and if uh, this team was somehow able to win a super bowl he's like you know i do these deals all the time these signing deals all the time Th these are six figure a year autograph deals you know for their for your top one percent uh talented players here and so you know that that's no small chunk of change for someone who's trying to plan for a complicated life after football. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Connor, it's interesting. I actually, uh, I had reached out to the Cowboys when I was there, and I interned with Roger Staubach's commercial real estate company. So that was cool. So that was would have been the off-season of 03. I worked uh, a couple of days a week for Roger Staubach's commercial real estate company, the Staubach company, 
which was cool. I did want to ask you in particular, Connor, you know, you've been doing such a great job writing for so long. You got your first Sports Illustrated cover story. I mean, for a writer, that's like that's like winning the Heisman Trophy. What was that like? <laughs> I sound like a football coach now because my mom called me. She asked me the same thing, and I said, I'm going to let myself enjoy it for 24 hours, and then you got to go get the next one, you know? But uh, it was uh, it, it was an unbelievable moment. I mean, uh, you know, just one of those things that wasn't even a dream because uh, I never thought something like that was possible. But it's uh, it's very cool. I appreciate you asking. Talking so, to Connor and, and Orr from – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ross. No, I was just going to say, just to follow up on that, um, I'm curious, Connor, like how does that process work? Like when did you know it was going to be a cover story? Um, I think I went down uh, – I had done some reporting the week, uh, two or three weeks earlier, and then um, right before I went down to Dallas, um, one of my bosses was like, hey, we got a shot here, and uh, – I'm the kind of person that uh, already <laughs> makes myself nervous enough. So <laughs> right when, right before I got on the plane, I was like, oh, boy, this uh, this has to be perfect. And so, uh, you know, I probably knew about uh, five or six days out that it might be. And then um, when I got the text, I was sitting at the uh, Browns-Jets game. I got a text picture of the cover, and uh, it was uh, it was pretty unbelievable. So that's that's really when I knew for sure because we had a lot of great stories in that issue, obviously. So a lot of uh, a lot of contenders. It was the money issue. Talking to Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated. Follow him at Connor Orr. I'm a Sports Illustrated geek. Uh, big time. So I brought some of Ross Tucker's indeed favorite issues today. This is the beer <laughs> issue from 1988. Yeah. I knew I'm going to have to send that to Ross because I know that's got to be his favorite. The other one I brought for Ross is gambling, America's national pastime. That'll prove to you that I've every one since 1986 when Doug <laughs> Flutie's magic flute was on the cover. You also write a lot of stuff that doesn't particularly make the cover, but is fascinating nonetheless. Cleveland Browns you write about today, and you write that Monday's performance against the Jets shows how razor-thin the margin is between good and potentially excellent. Is that line also between good and potentially bad? Because Baker Mayfield, you feel like, it sounds like, you feel like he is very close to being excellent. I felt like he was very close to being awful. <laughs> you know, I think it when I watched it again, it comes down to like four or five plays a game that he's hypercritical of himself on for not taking these checkdowns, not throwing to guys in a more intermediate space when they have room to run. And the reason that I have that arrow pointing upward is because he knows that. And if you talk to people around him, that's what he's kicking himself over are these plays. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think if I had a quarterback, um, at his age right now, I would rather him at least be daring enough to try these deeper shots and then understand that he's got to scale it back than the other way around that a guy that's terrified of the deep kind of third of the field. And he's certainly not like that. But I think we knew that going in that there was going to be an adjustment uh, with the play caller and Freddie Kitchens kind of learning to come into his own with this offense. And there was going to be an adjustment for Baker Mayfield, who's a guy who loves to stretch the field and has all these excellent players. Uh, you know, there's always going to be that pressure, I think, internally to match maximize that I think they're you know they're still third or fourth in the league in explosive passing plays but I think he just needs to dial it back just a little bit and I like the fact that he knows that and he talks about it a lot um I'm curious Connor on about a couple more things actually related to the to the Cowboys and the Dak story 
um, in particular. What what's uh what's Dak's personality like? Because I feel like it takes a special guy to turn down whatever the offer is that the Cowboys have been making him on a long term deal. What's he like as a guy? You know, uh, talking to people who have worked with him, you know, it seems like um, he's just that classic, hardworking American success story. I mean, you know, someone who really understands, you know, where he came from and, you know, how he got here and uh, doesn't really fit in maybe with that class of superstar in the way that, you know, he treats everything like he treats football. He's on time to everything. Uh, super hardworking, you know, wants to get things right. And that's another reason that I think that he's a dream for a lot of marketers and marketing companies, because he's that perfect face of uh, face of the brand kind of person. And, you know, you learn that uh, in Dallas really quickly when you got to start standing in front of cameras and handling a lot of situations like he has over the last three years. And then the last one for me, Connor, uh, it's funny. I didn't know until Dave just showed those that Dave has all those covers. My, <laughs> I, I had a huge affinity for Sports Illustrated growing up, still do. And frankly, you know, I, I really thought when I was in high school, my goal was to be a writer for Sports Illustrated. And in fact, even when I was like in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, my high school, you guys will both get a kick out of this. My high school would only catalog and keep the Sports Illustrated for 10 years. Then they would get rid of them. So 1994, I'm in ninth grade, 10th grade. They're about to get rid of all the 1984 Sports Illustrated. They knew rather than to get rid of them, they gave them all to me. And I would go through and flip through and read you know, the 1984 Sports Illustrated, then the 1985 when they gave me those in 95. Like, I didn't know we were all Sports Illustrated geeks here on this show, Dave. That, I didn't know you were like that. And you even have them, like, in the nice plastic. Like, that is <laughs> that is big time, Briggs. Um, my question, Connor, is and I'm sure you haven't talked to him, so you probably don't even know. Do you think young people, young guys like a Dak Prescott fourth year in the NFL – do you think that they appreciate what it means to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated as much as like the three of us would? That's a great question. Um, you know, I don't know. I think it's one of those things that is probably true um, when you talk to guys about anything. You know, was it cool to do this? Was it cool to do that? And I think it's probably something that's nice after football. I mean, it, it, just the grind, and 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 you understand that. I mean, just the grind day to day and everything, um, trying to make it to Sunday and trying to win these games. And I guess they have the Dolphins this weekend, so they don't have to be too worried about it. But, you know, uh, the, that whole day to day grind thing, it probably is hard to take a step back and appreciate things, but you hope they do because, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, it was obviously something really cool uh, for me to be able to do. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for everyone that it was kind of in his orbit that was able to help me out with that. But um, yeah, you know, I hope, uh, I hope it's something that's cool for them too, because it's, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a privilege for us to be able to tell those stories, you know? My wife is sick and tired of Sports Illustrated, man. What should I tell her? Like, I have an entire basement, walls down there with them framed everywhere. It's it's become a little bit of uh, a tension around the house. What should I tell her that Connor Orr says in, in terms of dictating, uh, dedicating that much space to Sports Illustrated? 
they're only accumulating value. And so if you ever go to sell the house, that is a big uh, selling point for somebody who wants to come in and buy it. You know, she'll be happy then. I like it. <laughs> I want to tell her that I'm going to see if she buys it. And ultimately she'll probably put them out of the curb at some point when I'm out of town. Connor Orr from sports illustrated. Wonderful to have you. We love the, the magazine. Obviously you're talking to two big sports illustrated geeks. We appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Check out the money issue. Sports Illustrated. Connor War wrote the cover piece on Dak and how much the star, how much the Cowboys are worth to him. We will find out. But first, hiring can be a challenge, as Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter doesn't Depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was so impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. That's how Gretchen found a new game artist and less than two weeks time. With results like that, no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's where you do it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Ross, want to follow up on that Cleveland Browns conversation that we started there with Connor Orr. He thinks they are razor thin close to being an excellent football team. You made an analogy in the comparison earlier to, well, look at what Gardner Minshew is doing. You say Gardner Minshew is what Baker Mayfield should learn from. Do you think Cleveland is close to being excellent as they approach a huge defining game against the Rams? No, I, I really don't. Um, and what I, I guess what I meant about Minshew is Minshew reminds me a lot of Baker Mayfield last year in the sense that he's playing well, he's very accurate, and he's creating sort of a cult following, not just in Jacksonville, but nationally. And I feel like that's what Baker did last year. The difference, uh -huh. obviously, is Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick and Gardner Minshew's a six-round pick. Certainly, there's you know Mayfield mania in Cleveland and there's a lot of people nationally that really love Baker Mayfield as well. It feels to me, Dave, like he's taken a step back this year so far. And I don't know if that's Freddie Kitchens calling the game differently now that he's the head coach. I've often seen in the NFL a sophomore slump. And here's what I think happens there. I think when a guy is a rookie, you really pare down the game plan and you go into it thinking, what can we do to make this easier for this guy? How can we simplify things and put this rookie in position for success? That's fine. What happens then is when they have success, look at like Matt Ryan with the Falcons his second year. When they have success, what happens after that is you're like, this guy's good. We got a good quarterback. And you put more on his plate and you give him more responsibility at the line of scrimmage 
changing protections, audibling, and guess what? Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes they can't take on all of the additional responsibilities. Baker Mayfield, Dave, is not playing fast. He's not getting the ball out of his hands. It really feels to me like he has regressed a little bit. And maybe it's only two games. I think Sunday night's big for him because, you know, even the two plays he made against the Jets, one was an unbelievable catch by Odell Beckham Jr. down the sideline. The other one was like a five-yard slant that Odell took 89 yards. Baker is not playing as well as he did last year. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. And what I thought you were actually saying, so I took your analogy too far, is I thought you were saying he's not focusing on the accuracy, the short passing game enough, the way Gardner Minshew is. And it's not as if Gardner Minshew is being conservative. He's not at all. He's chucking it downfield. There were a couple of wide open receivers that Gardner Minshew last night passed on underneath in order to throw the deep ball a couple of times. Now, granted, you could say they were ill-advised, but they ended up being just beautiful dime throws, so you can't criticize it. The comparison I, that I thought you were making, and I guess I will now, is that the accuracy has been the huge issue for Baker Mayfield, and that's where Gardner Minshew is excelling despite throwing the ball down the field. He's completed almost 74% of his passes in his first couple of starts. Think about that. I mean, that's the best in a three-game stretch for a rookie quarterback in the Super Bowl era. Let's go back to last year. Baker Mayfield's first two starts, he completed 54%. 20% lower than Gardner Minshew right now. And, and that is where these two quarterbacks look very different. Now, Connor Orr feels he likes that Baker Mayfield is taking shots down the field, and he'd rather a young quarterback not be risk-averse. So you can say that, but these next two games will define Cleveland's season and Baker Mayfield's season because it's the Rams and that it is Baltimore. That is a brutal two-game stretch. Our producers had some really uh, clever throwbacks to the last time that the Rams and the Browns played in a high-profile situation primetime game like this. The last time that happened, September 14th, 2008, that's time the last time the Browns were on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Ross Tucker, the number one movie, The Dark Knight, the number one song in the country I'm not entirely familiar with, but you're a lot hipper than I. T.I., whatever you like. I don't know that one. Can you jam that? Oh, me? I think I know that one. I think I know that one. Is that the one that goes, you can do whatever you like. Yeah, you can do whatever you like. Nah, nah, nah. Nah, 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 nah. Nah, 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 nah. You can do whatever you like. Yeah, you can do whatever oh. you like. I never really I know actually that know one. the words to songs, but yeah, I think that's what it was. I think that's what it was. I, that's a wow. great song. I remember, I remember, I think one time my wife and I were driving in the car, Dave, and that song came on and we were both kind of head bobbing. And then for whatever reason, we both looked right? at each other at the same time and then went back and we were head bobbing. And that like became our thing when that song came on. We both go, you can do whatever you like. Yeah, you can do whatever you like. We gotta get the, we gotta get I the lyrics. Let's get one of our uh, let's get one of the uh, twenty two year olds to get the lyrics. <laughs> I can do the intermediate part. Oh, Steve like, John like, with the gift I'm for our audience. Here. there. I'm not here. 
no, 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 no. Here, you can do whatever you like. Something oh, like God. that. Do we still have an audience left? I hope we do, because that was glorious. As Jordan Cohn points out, we need a Ross Tucker remix album. Um, this was also back in 2008 when Lehman Brothers collapsed, and that is all too familiar and painful to me. That was the day I bought my house in Westport, Connecticut. As I'm signing the contract, my dad calls and says, dude, don't buy that house. I said, I don't know what the hell Lehman Brothers is, let alone what that means. I need a place to live. A couple of years later, oh God, that was one of the most regretful decisions I ever made, Ross Tucker. I very much remember uh, the beginning of the financial collapse. So two things. One is uh, Jordan and Steve have provided me with some of the lyrics so I can tell you exactly what it is. Okay. You got to remember this uh, song, right, Dave? You remember the song, right? No. Go. Try right. it again. Here's here it goes. Stacks on deck, Patron on ice, and we can pop bottles all night, and baby, you can have whatever you like. Said you can have whatever you like. Yeah, I'm not reading the next line. It gets kind of graphic <laughs> after that. But the stacks on deck, Patron on ice. That's what I remember. I remember stacks on deck, Patron on ice, and we can pop bottles all night, and baby, you can have whatever you like. Yeah, you can have whatever you like. That's what I remember from that song. Um, but speaking of Lehman Brothers, uh, by the way, you um, didn't, yeah, you didn't yeah. know this. You wouldn't know nope. this. But my senior year in college, yes, at Princeton, actually. I'm wearing a Princeton shirt today, College Friday. Um, I have to go to a long sleeve, like, mini hoodie now. It's kind of getting cold now, man. Um, so anyway... I accepted a job with Lehman Brothers my senior year of college, dude. I, I, I accepted a sales and trading job with Lehman Brothers in November, December of 2000 to start in 2001. And why is that significant? Because the Redskins signed me. I deferred my job for a year and then I deferred it again the next year. And they finally said, okay, Ross, we get it. But Dave, I would have worked my butt off for seven years, hopefully gotten a bunch of like stock options and stuff and had had be 28, 29 years old, have gotten off to a good start. And then it all would have crashed. It, I mean, I, I would have, I would have been fighting so hard to get more stock options and, Oh, I, I want to raise, I want more stock options. And then boom. So thank no. you, Marty Schottenheimer for signing me as an undrafted free agent and preventing me from A, having to get a real job, and B, losing a boatload of money. I, I hate to burst your bubble, but I know a lot of friends that were riding high at that time, and they pocketed tens of millions of dollars. That was not a favor they did you, and it wouldn't have been stock options in Lehman Brothers. It would have been the boatload of money you made between 01 and 08 that you would not have had to work today. But I'm glad you got that shot because you are sitting here today. Uh, two more notes on the last time Cleveland played on a primetime Sunday night game. Eli Manning threw TD pass, three TD passes the last time that happens. The Giants beat the Rams, and USC was number one in the college football poll. But let me just ask you quickly before we move on, who do you like in this game? It, it looks like a favorable matchup for the Rams the way – Baker has played the way the offensive line has protected him. Do you like the Rams in this game? 
I do. Yeah, and I I I I don't like road favorites that often, but I think I would lay the points with the LA Rams. They've been very consistent mm. the first two games. They've looked excellent. Uh Cooper Cup is back, looks healthy. Todd Gurley looks good to me. I, I like where the Rams are right now. I thought they'd take a step back this year, especially with the interior offensive line changes. They really haven't so far. Meanwhile, for the Browns, not only are they struggling, Dave, they lost David Njoku, who not only had a concussion when he got flipped on, on his head on Monday night, he also broke his wrist. I mean, you want to talk about a, a rough sport, man. I mean, imagine getting hit, getting flipped upside down, and you break your wrist at the same point, at the same time you're getting a concussion. I mean, that's rough, bro. And then Christian Kirksey, their linebacker who's good, he's out. He hurt his peck. So I, I, I just think the Browns, and I, honestly, I'm not sure the Browns will play better at home in front of their crowd. I, I think, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's nerves or expectations or what. I think the Rams come in there, win by a touchdown or more. I don't have the stats to back it up. I just have a feeling, and I just have a feeling that Cleveland gets it done because they know their season hangs on these next two weeks. And I don't think the way Jared Goff has played these first two weeks is all that impressive. I think a, a quarterback rating around 87, two touchdowns, one interception. He's just kind of playing okay and backing up those who say, he is just kind of okay, kind of average. Certainly hasn't played like a $100 million guaranteed quarterback. Um, I'm just going to take Cleveland on a wing and a prayer. But the thing that could upset that is the obvious. Can they even come close to containing Aaron Donald? Because it doesn't look like, well, frankly, no one can. But the Cleveland offensive line has been a sieve in the early going we talked uh to the baltimore ravens side of the game of the weekend that's chiefs and ravens we're going to go to kansas city next to talk to our man carrington harrison carrington harrison uh, if you haven't been familiar with him on home and home here a radio.com original he is a radio.com original he is a beauty he will weigh in on this game and tell us is patrick mahomes even better forget that word regression is Mahomes better this season than that historic 5K50 TD season last year? We're back after a real quick break. Regression? What regression? Patrick Mahomes has arguably been better this season than his historic last year in which he threw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns, and that's without his best playmaker, Tyree Kill, an incredible performance, and this week Mahomes matches up with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. This should be outstanding, the highlight of my weekend. Carrington Harrison with us from 610 Sports Radio in KC. Carrington, good to see you. Ross Tucker, it's Dave Briggs. I thought you would be coming to us from Storm Area 51 in a Nevada <laughs> desert this afternoon because I figured you might be an alien guy and preparing to Storm Area 51. No? No, the only thing I know about aliens I learned from Men in Black and watching Independence Day. I'm not really much of a sci-fi guy. I don't really think that showing up randomly at military bases is a really <laughs> smart thing. Something tells me that they will shoot you. <laughs> 
Hey, I know well, this. They got uh, Bud Light alien gear. They've got Bud Light cans. They've got Bud Light bomber jackets that they've sold out of on the website. Here is an image from my man, Jordan. This is all the rage today. All they're talking about on the Twitterverse until it turns to football on Sunday. Go ahead, Ross. Well, I want to talk about aliens, and one alien in particular, his name is Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> um, I, I mean, Carrington, that second quarter, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. And then they had another one that got called back. I can't remember why in the third quarter. I'm sitting there watching, and it's bomb after bomb after bomb. They were dropping bombs, What was Patrick Mahomes. Do you think that he, and I know the statistics aren't, quite as good from a touchdown perspective as last year. But watching him, do you think he's a little better, the same, or a little worse as compared to last year? I think he's probably a little bit better than last year. The game just appears to be very easy. And Ross, you know this, playing at the highest level, the NFL is not built for one player to break it. Like, that's much more of a college thing. Like, when Cam Newton was in college the one year at Auburn, when Tim Tebow was in Florida, like, college is just more designed for one player to just have a skill gap compared to the other players in the league. I'm with you. I thought Mahomes' second quarter was the best that we've seen him play so far. They got off to a very slow start the first 15 minutes, and then it was like Mahomes was like, all right, I'm done playing around. He had five straight completions where he threw over 25 yards and three of them went for touchdowns. It was just absolutely dominant in the second quarter against Oakland. It seems that the injuries, it doesn't, I mean, you can't imagine any other team in the NFL losing its top playmaker and not slowing down dramatically. I mean, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, it's hard to imagine any of those teams not coming almost to a screeching halt without their best wide receiver. How has that not been a big problem for Mahomes? That's an excellent question and one I wish I had the answer to. Last time I talked to you guys, I thought it was going to be an issue. When you lose a top five playmaker in the NFL, I thought you would see some effects of not having him on the field, but that wasn't the case, at least not in the second quarter. Now, the first quarter they struggled, and I thought part of it was due to Tyreek Hill not being there, but that second quarter, it was absolutely dominant. The Chiefs have a fourth-year wide receiver named Demarcus Robinson out of Florida, and Patrick Mahomes turned him into Michael Thomas in that game. He had 500 <laughs> career yards in 49 games and had 176 yards and three touchdowns on Sunday. I mean, what they did offensively in that second quarter, it was very Golden State third quarter-ish. It was very, okay, we had our lull. It's time for us to go on our run. And I think that Oakland looked up and thought they had a chance to win because the game was 10 to nothing and they were playing well. They were at home. And I think Gruden looked up at the scoreboard and it was 28 to 10. Yeah, that was that's my question, uh, Carrington, is any any concern that they didn't really do it other than the second quarter? No, I don't really get the sense in Kansas City that there's a lot of not a lot of concern. I didn't really get that either from the team. I, I really think they broke the spirit of the Raiders. I think the Raiders came in and they were very energized and they just came off the really good win against the Broncos and they were going up against the Chiefs and they were trying to prove everybody wrong. And then I think they realized when the Chiefs had that blitz that they just weren't going to keep up with them. The only cause for concern I think there is for the Chiefs 
is the Chiefs just haven't run the ball effectively. So think about it like this. The Chiefs got one run this season for 43 yards. Their other 41 carries, they've gotten 117 yards in the game against Oakland out of their running backs. They got 21 carries for 31 yards in the game. Now they don't have their left tackle in Eric Fisher and Cam Irving, who is the replacement for Eric Fisher. He got the lowest run grade on pro football focus this season. I do think there's some concern with the Chiefs and Chiefs fans if they can run the ball effectively. And there's Damian Williams that didn't practice yesterday, and I've understood that LaShawn McCoy might be a little banged up. Where does the, the running back game go from here? Who, who starts Sunday in your estimation? So um, LaShawn McCoy had an MRI. I think it came back positive or negative. I don't know how the, the correct connotation is, but I think he's going to play. I actually don't think that Damian Williams is going to play. He didn't practice Wednesday. He didn't practice uh, Thursday. We'll see if he practices today. The Chiefs are like most teams if you don't practice on Friday then you are not going to play in the game on Sunday. They have a rookie, a sixth-round rookie out of Utah State named Darwin Thompson. People were very high on him in the preseason, but I think once LaShawn McCoy became available, especially given his track record and history with Andy Reid, Reid brought him in here and that kind of moved Darwin Thompson down the depth chart. Thompson was really encouraging in the preseason. I don't know if he'll get the start, especially if a McCoy is healthy and available, but Darwin Thompson will be involved in the offense on Sunday. I know, Carrington, you talked about Demarcus Robinson. That that was amazing. Uh, do you know, do you have an update on Tyreek Hill? I saw somebody tweet that he's, you know, in the in the locker room dribbling with both hands. And I mean, it sounds like he's a guy that's not that far away. Yeah, that was the report. I didn't go to the locker room that day, but I, I did see the same report that you said. I believe it was Adam Teicher who had that report. Everybody that we've talked to that covers those kind of injuries and have kind of studied and practiced in that field said that it's typically a three to four week injury. Danny Amendola, when he played with the Miami Dolphins, he had a similar injury. He was out for three weeks. Then they had a bye and he came back five weeks later. So everyone that is kind of in that background or has that background has said that it's a three to six week injury. Just given the fact that he seems to have good mobility using his arm, I would say it's probably sooner rather than later. Of course, it's the number one offense in the league is the Baltimore Ravens, not Kansas City when it comes to total offense, total yards. How well equipped is the Kansas City defense to slow down Lamar Jackson and the dual threat? I think with Baltimore, we do have to put a little bit of an asterisk by their offensive record so far. They did play the Citadel in the Miami Dolphins, so I don't know if you can really <laughs> count that when you play one FCS opponent in your game. But I think it really comes down to how much you believe in Lamar Jackson's start. Last year, he completed less than 60% of his passes. This year, he's around 72%. I just think he seems more comfortable and confident as a passer. So I'm cautiously buying in to Lamar Jackson. I think this is going to be a Frank Clark game. Like They bought Frank Clark in here because he was an upgrade over D Ford, and they got him to slow down quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson. Last year, if you were a decent quarterback in the NFL, you just absolutely shredded the Chiefs defense. I think Lamar has proven to be a good quarterback in the NFL. Can they slow him down? That's the major question in this matchup. And my major question, Carrington, about the defense is, I guess, a simple one, which is, are they better or worse than they were last year? Because when they lost D4 in Houston and Eric Berry, I thought maybe for sure they'd be worse. Then they bring in Tyron Matthew. They bring in, as you mentioned, Frank Clark. Through two games, are you feeling like they're better or worse? Yeah, absolutely. I certainly feel like they're better. Last year, they gave up over 1,000 yards in their first two games. This year, they're at 700. 
All I expected from this Chiefs defense was, can you get off the field? Last year, the Chiefs gave up the most third downs in the history of the NFL. This year, they are around 22nd when it comes to getting off the field on third downs. Right now, they are top 10 in points per game allowed. Now, I don't expect that to hold up for the rest of the season, but that's where they are so far. They seem much more equipped to make adjustments this year than last year. Last year, whenever a team got out to a 10-0 lead in the very beginning of the game, it was going to be a shootout. Like, the Chiefs were going to have to win that game 40-31. to So I gave the Chiefs defense a lot of credit for making the adjustments, settling down, and then not allowing Oakland to score for the remaining three quarters of the game. We talked to our colleague Tim Barbales from 105.7, the fan of Baltimore. He was taking the Chiefs in this game, not taking his hometown Ravens. What's your prediction? I wouldn't take any team in the NFL to come into Kansas City and win. I got a lot of respect for New England, a lot of respect for Seattle, a lot of respect for you know, the six or seven good teams in the NFL. I would not pick any team in Kansas City to come in, to come into Kansas City and win. But I don't know if Baltimore necessarily has to win in this game. I think that Baltimore can seek validation by simply being competitive. I'm not going to look down at the Ravens if they lose this game 31-24. If it's a close matchup and then Mahomes makes a couple plays late and the crowd kind of has an effect on the game, I don't think that's a negative for the Ravens. The Ravens just can't get blown out in this. I think people are looking for reasons to kind of poke holes in what the Ravens have done so far and what Lamar Jackson has done so far. If they come into Kansas City and get beat 31 to 10, I think a lot of people will say, oh, well, they com- they only competed against bad teams, but when they finally yeah. finally played someone good, they got blown out. So I think that's more important for the Ravens in this matchup. But again, I'm not picking any team to come into Kansas City and win. Kansas City is either 1A or 1B in terms of top teams in the NFL. And and top tough places to play. I, I hate to admit this as a Bronco fan. I remember the the good old Mile High Stadium, but I've never felt an atmosphere like Arrowhead or heard any NFL noise like it, though I have not been to a game in Seattle. Before we close, we have had a couple of conversations about the chicken sandwich wars across the country. So I have <laughs> to get your thoughts on the new entrant into the battle, which is that, if you are watching, not just listening, on the Radio.com app, tell your friends, it is the KFC Donut Chicken Sandwich. Is it glorious or is it gross? I don't know if KFC is a sponsor of this show, so I'll choose my words carefully. Who would eat that? Like, look at the picture of that sandwich. Who would eat that? (laughs) Can you tell me that as an adult, two adult men with responsibilities and lives and children and family and all the things that you got, you're going to KFC and you're pulling up to the drive-through and you're saying, hey, give me one of those donuts and chicken sandwiches. Like, that looks absolutely disgusting. There's no way I would eat that. See, Tucker agrees with you, but I actually would love to eat that. I think it looks <laughs> fantastic and they are not a sponsor. I would murder that thing. Yeah, you can have it. You can have all of them. You can have all of them. Me and Ross, I don't want any part. I don't want anything to do with it. Carrington, right now, you you and Costos are up there among the best guests we have. Everything you ever say is perfect, other than a little bit of homerism there. I don't know if you can say the Chiefs are 1A or 1B. I'll I'll take the Patriots and the Cowboys over the Chiefs right now. And I'll take the Patriots and the Chiefs in Kansas City. What's that? The Cowboys? Now, the Patriots, okay, I'm with you. If you're taking the Patriots over the Chiefs, if I had a power ranking, I would put Patriots 1, Chiefs 2. But the Cowboys, no. I can't do it. The Cowboys, no. Yeah, I'm taking the Cowboys. Yep.
I well, think you that might looks be eating like... one of those sandwiches then. With that, with, with, <laughs> with, with that take, you might be eating one of those KFC chicken donut sandwiches. I like that. We just had a little wager just happen. Ross Tucker's going to eat one of those sandwiches down the road if that <laughs> happens. I did have back in the day the Dunkin' Donuts had a donut breakfast sandwich with egg and bacon and cheese. And it was awesome. So I would crush this. I love the sweet and the salty combination. You're kind of a sweet and a salty guy too, Carrington Harrison. Good to have you, my friend. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy I, that game. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks a bunch. All right, to another intriguing game this weekend, Ross Tucker. And it's intriguing for different reasons. Panthers and Cardinals, obviously it's fascinating to watch Kyler Murray, the number one overall pick. But it's Cam Newton's presumed absence that makes this game interesting. It sounds like Kyle Allen is going to get the start for Carolina, but it's hard to tell given this uncomfortable and awkward interaction between the Carolina media and the Panthers head coach, Ron Rivera. Listen. Are you ready to announce your starter? Nope. Um, Cam was in meetings today. Uh, he um, was inside for treatment. Kyle's preparing to see if he's going to start, and uh, we'll have more clarity tomorrow as we uh, continue to go forward. Is that when you would anticipate being able yeah, to make a decision? Tomorrow we'll, we'll, we should have a good feel for where he is, and like I said, we'll go forward from there. Would you think Cam would travel in either event, or would that be decided tomorrow? So you guys want to watch, sit there and watch, so you'll have to wait and see. I'm not going to talk about it anymore, guys. I mean, let's talk about it, uh, Arizona. I mean, I haven't really talked about Arizona, you know, so it would be good to answer those kind of questions. Cam, though. I know it's about Cam, but it, that's, you know, we won't. I don't know anymore until tomorrow. So let's just, you know, let's talk about Arizona. If not, there's no reason for me to stand here. Before the opener, you were 100% confident he was going to be ready to go. Where are you on that level now? <laughs> I just asked you to ask me questions about somebody else. I'm not going to do this anymore, okay? I told you, I won't know anything until tomorrow, okay? Thank you. And the sound you heard there towards the tail end, that was the door. Because Ron Rivera just walked out on the media about three minutes. Now... Look, Ross, I've been in many a press conference frustrated with Bill Belichick and just not knowing, do I bother ask a question here? But my take on this is Ron Rivera, it's Cam freaking Newton. You're going to have to take the questions. What else do you think they're going to ask about? They should ask a couple of questions about Kyler Murray. But if you don't answer questions about the star quarterback that you won't even acknowledge is really hurt or, or some issue going on, the guys are going to keep, keep asking questions because there's blood in the water. What was your take on that awkward interaction? So I'm kind of in the middle here in the sense that I don't like that wasn't that bad by the reporters. I think that there are times, Dave, where the reporters ask the same question three or four times. And after the subject or the person being interviewed says the same thing or I don't have anything else. I, I think there are times where the reporters almost are like badgering the witness but if you actually listen to that, those were all separate questions. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they were it wasn't like they were asking the same question over and over again. Those were all separate questions. I put that more on Rivera there. There are times where I think reporters go overboard and should be a little bit more respectful once someone answers a question a couple times. But each one of those were actually unique 
different questions that I think he could have answered. Like, is is Cam going to go um, whether or not he's active? I don't know. Haven't, you know, I, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I just think what that was to me, Dave, is a coach that knows he's on the hot seat, a coach that's 0-2, and his star quarterback's not going to play, and he's frustrated. I have my questions about Cam not playing. I think Ron Rivera was frustrated. He thought three or four questions. I say this about Cam. He's getting treatment. You know, we'll find out more tomorrow. And I think he wanted it to be left at that. But if I had to, if I had to grade there, I'd say that's like 90-95% on Ron Rivera and five to ten percent on the Carolina media. I, you know, that that one's more on Ron. Yeah, I would like to see reporters ask a, a, just less, fewer yes, no questions. We're all taught in journalism school, and I assume most of them went to journalism school, or you at least learned throughout your career not to ask yes, no questions. But oftentimes reporters in these press conferences get beat down and they end up asking bad questions because they know how this is going to end. So yeah, I'm with you. Both sides probably could have done a better job. Uh, another piece of quarterback news, as the quarterback carnage continues around the league, this one though not related to an injury. Ryan Fitzpatrick appears to be out for the time being for the Miami Dolphins, and Josh Rosen is now in. And usually you get excited for a young quarterback who had a terrible situation in Arizona, got traded here to Miami. But in this case, Ross, I feel terrible for a kid who now gets an opportunity to start at quarterback. It just tells you and shows you how important it is to be drafted into the right situation with the right coach, with the right structure, with the right front office. And that is certainly not the case with the former UCLA stud. Uh, I would agree. Although I would say that last year's situation was not as bad as this year's situation. And if he had done a better job with last year's situation, he wouldn't be in this year's situation, right? So you can only play the victim so much. When you are a high draft pick, you're going to go to a bad team. It's not mm -hmm. going to be yeah. a good situation. That's what makes you a high pick. They think you can help <laughs> overcome that situation. So I would say for Rosen, his best chance was last year to show enough that he at least got to keep the job again for this year. And if you want a little spin zone, I put this on Twitter, Dave, at Ross Tucker NFL. Can you argue that it's only up from here from, from Josh Rosen? I mean, they have a terrible team. They've got blown out twice. Nobody thinks they're going to do anything. If he can just move the ball, or what if he rallies this team for a couple of wins? I mean, I, I think he actually has a really good and unique opportunity to cement himself as a starting caliber quarterback, whether it's Miami or somewhere else, if he can do anything with this team. I mean, if he, if he does anything with this iteration of the Dolphins, it will be extremely impressive. And I think be a, a real feather in his cap and something that will enable people, whether it's not the Dolphins or someone else, to think he's a starter in the league. So on some level, 
He almost benefits from being in one of the worst situations we've ever seen because the expectations are so low, he can only exceed them, really. I'd agree with you if you were talking about Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones go into a situation with arguably the best running back in the league, Evan Ingram at a terrific tight end. Sterling Shepard, I think, is on the mend and may play this weekend. Golden Tate comes back in a couple of weeks. And there is some talent on the field and some leadership in the locker room. It appears to be an utter dumpster fire in Miami. And you've heard the term no-win situation thrown around. This is the no-win situation because they aren't going to win. They are going to go 0 and 16. And you're right. Maybe if somehow Josh Rosen can string together Jesus, I think a miracle effort would be four or five wins for this Miami team. Because otherwise, this is a no win situation. He will be relegated to a backup for the rest of his career unless he gets another opportunity. And I don't think we ever really got to see what Josh Rosen has to offer in the NFL. I can't even off the top of my head think of the receivers in Miami. I know they have a couple of decent running backs, but it is an utter mess there and not much of a line to protect them. And they are going to get slaughtered this coming weekend. They play Dallas, two teams, Favored by more than 21 points this weekend. First time, uh, second time in NFL history this has ever happened. The only other time, 1987, the strike season, scabs were on the field. Poor Josh Rosen gets the starting gig. A lot more to get to in the 10 o'clock hour. A busy 10 o'clock hour because Antonio Brown just can't stop doing stupid shit. He is now in the news again, according to some fantastic reporting by Robert Klemko of Sports Illustrated. Business is not booming for AB off the field either. The latest from Nike and a really intriguing investigative piece from the USA Today. Here it is. That's not the sports section. That is the front page of USA Today about red flags raised in the NFL when it comes to vetting both coaches and players when it comes to domestic assault. Not the conversations that the NFL wants us to be having on NFL 100. We'll take to talk to the author, Rachel Axon, from USA Today after a real quick break here on Home and Home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com. Uh, 